This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Sons of Sceva, Demetrius' beef with Paul, riot in Ephesus, an appeal for order, Paul in Macedonia and Greece. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Some Protestants have now added burdens with blurred lines. Sweet sacraments overthrown or undermined. Excessive fruit checking like Adam in the Garden of Eden. Eden. Ignore God, heed the serpent, then we start eating. A lot of sermons in pulpits like a Gnostic wrote A lot of scripture quoted, but symbolism getting If you believe that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying for some, but not for others. You usually call that a limited atonement. One of the core beliefs of Calvinist theology Do you ever wonder whether you're not among the others or the some for whom Jesus died? Do you ever wonder whether he was shedding his blood for you or not? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about his journey from Calvinism to Lutheranism, Flame. He's Marcus Gray, a Grammy-nominated Christian rapper. He's author of the new book, Extranos, Discovering Grace Outside Myself. Flame, welcome back. Thank you for having me. How would you describe the music that you make? I describe my music as Christian rap, particularly because I'm hitting on those biblical New Testament themes related to Jesus living, dying, resurrecting. So my content is that, but then connecting the dots between our everyday experience and biblical theology. Talk about the influence on you of the Christian rap group Cross Movement. Man, Cross Movement, those were the guys who laid the blueprint. Uh, They were all inner city artists from Philadelphia, New York, and they sort of had this cool idea to take Christian content, systematic theology, put it over beats in a hip-hop format, and then use it as an evangelistic tool to kind of be, I guess, on mission in the inner city. So not only that, they also gave a business format for making it a career path as well. So I really tip my hat to those guys for giving a structure and showing us young guys how to do it. (laughs) What did you learn on tour with them that made you question what you'd been taught at your home church? Yeah, it was an interesting experience because while being on a road with Cross Movement for two months, I remember them introducing the topic of the Reformation, something that I had never been exposed to and never considered. Although I heard of the person Martin Luther in my local church, probably more so tied to the figure Martin Luther King Jr., who him and his dad was named after. So that was that. But they really exposed me to the Reformation and more so highlighted John Calvin's influence. But I was drawn by that. And that's when my journey started and what piqued my interest into the kind of music I do now. Why did you decide to go to Bible college? I went to Bible college because I wanted to hone in on a thing I felt was most natural to my personality and my bents. I was really into just reading the Bible, uh, learning more about scripture, the culture of scripture, the languages, and really how that applies to our everyday mundane human experience. So once I found out from one of the guys in the group cross movement that that was even a concept, Bible college, (laughs) then that that really piqued my interest, and I just gave myself to it, enrolled into a school, and the journey began. You write about a 
frightening sermon that you heard in chapel. Tell us about that. Man, indeed, it was a law-filled sermon that pretty much called all the audience members to question their salvation, to take their, what they would have assumed was Christian fruit and to examine it deeply. And then more so to doubt those things because it wasn't enough. And at the time, though, God sort of used that to bring me to my knees and to sort of cry out to him over time, reflecting back on it. It was little gospel in it, but the law is good. Amen to the law. But I just remember the nature of it was very convicting and, and crushing, but not as much light in the end. What eventually led to your loss of Christian assurance? Over time, you know, while at one point celebrating things like the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, as those things were highlighted from the scriptures, I found them to be a comfort. But the sneaky thing behind it was this notion that Jesus only died for the elect, that he had only died for those he had predestined. So over time, I started to ask, am I one of the ones Jesus actually died for? Am I one of the ones that he created for his glory, or am I one of the ones that he created for judgment? And on a good day, I would look at myself and my fruit and say, I think I'm good. But on other days when it wasn't so good, I wasn't performing at my peak performance. And I saw just inconsistencies in my devotional time, my prayer life, or just my ability to live it out. Then I would question deeply, and that would lead me to that despair, that pit of darkness. And that was hard to recover from. Talk more about how you were introduced to this Calvinist theology. Yeah, Calvinism, you know, really just was undergirded by my heroes in the faith at the time, you know, cross movement and those guys. And then as I began to tap into other reformational teachers, I think about some of the the heroes there, people like John Piper, people like R.C. Sproul, and just tapping into their ministries and seeing what they were teaching. And so many helpful things I gained there. But as you drive deeper into those sets of ideas, it takes you back to the Puritans and that whole portion of church history. And those guys spoke very bluntly and quite vividly about our brokenness and our inability to please God, all the way to calling us things like filthy maggots, good for nothing. And those ideas became crushing as well over time. So what did you find both attractive and then also disturbing about Calvinism? One of the things that was so attractive about it was, I will give Calvinists credit or the reformers, the Reformation followers, they really have a way of staring up in the local congregants, just a desire for scripture, a desire for studying the word. And it's really fun to talk with your brothers and sisters in the faith about theology So that was really one of the strengths. The other thing was just this notion that you're special to God, that he died particularly for you and all your friends. So it's sort of an exclusivity to it that really makes you feel close to God, a camaraderie with those other special ones. But then over time, as you start to see, one of the things that's pretty common is to isolate verses and to sort of strip them from their context. And then you start to find passages like Matthew 7, where it says, on that great day, many will say to the Lord, did not we cast out demons in your name? Did we not preach in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. And when you isolate 
passages like that from the context, which is actually false prophets, you apply them to just the average Christian who's trying to love God and love neighbor. And it becomes a terrifying teaching as opposed to a liberating one. And that's the unfortunate part. You also say that Calvinism invites theological speculation. What do you mean by that? Yeah, in Calvinism, you know, we talk a lot about God's glory or God's sovereignty, which in my mind and in my experience and many others, what that does is it calls you to sort of peek behind the curtain to see what God is up to behind the scenes. And once you sort of see that model culturally in the preaching styles, the popular writing, popular podcasts from other reformers and other teachers in that space, you start to hear things like I heard. For example, I remember a popular pastor teacher says that in heaven, we'll actually rejoice that many of our loved ones who did not come to Christ are suffering underneath God's wrath because there we'll have more in common with God and Jesus than we do ourselves and one another. So there was this permission given to connect dots that the scriptures just does not connect. And once that's affirmed and sort of made regular culture, regular jargon, then you work up the confidence to talk and think and speak that way as well. And then it's just an accepted norm. So how did that theology not just eventually lead you to doubt from time to time, but actively to despair? What was that like? And walk us through that. Yeah. I mean, just on a practical level, I think any honest person, any honest Christian, when they put their heads on a pillow at night, I mean, you think about your day, you think about your life. Did I read enough Bible today? Did I share my faith with the guy at the grocery store? When I was at the barbershop, man, how many opportunities did I miss to be a gospel light in that room? I just talked about the conversation that everyone else had instead of just giving them the didactic gospel. And you start to just soak underneath that type of examination, internal examination, and then it leads to condemnation. And once that course of thinking and practice starts to happen, it piles up. And because of the old Adam in us is really excited about earning our own salvation, pleasing God with our own efforts. The flip side of that is you're very honest about your mistakes and your missteps. And those were the kind of things that as the way my personality is, I'm really going to think about those things. I'm really going to ponder my own piety. And I found that many people are the same and they examine themselves up against God's perfect standard. And then you rightly conclude, well, I guess I'm not good enough. But the unfortunate thing is where people land is either, well, let me work harder next time or People just tap out and leave Christianity altogether. And I can certainly relate to both of those sentiments. Did you ever share any of these doubts or despairs with your fellow Calvinists? And if so, what did they say to you? Indeed. And if I'm honest, I mean, just many great men and women in that space sought to care for me and others who experienced that. But where they mostly take you is election, that Jesus died particularly for you, which again, is conflicting when it's separated from the universal nature of the atonement. So had we been taught biblically that Jesus did in fact die for everyone, perhaps that could have been a comfort. But because it's coupled with this limited atonement where Jesus only died for a select few, while you're receiving this comfort, it's also being snatched in the same breath. 
So there were conversations like that where just look at your election. And then ultimately where you settle in is, you know what? There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, which is good news, which is the truth. But then it's coupled with now you have an opportunity to do better next time. So as opposed to resting in the gospel, you're giving more law. You're giving more opportunities to try better next time. And that becomes the goal. Well, let me devise a plan and a schedule to stay away from this and go forward in this direction. And while the law is good and while we need the law to instruct us on God's good way, it's not the gospel. And when a person is crushed in that manner, they don't need more law. They need more gospel. Marcus Gray is our guest. He's author of the new book, Extra Notes, Discovering Grace Outside Myself. When we come back, how did he come to study at Concordia Seminary? I used to think if he fell away from his faith, then he was never saved. But actually, that's not what the Bible say. It's not on the Bible page. It's not hypothetical. If he walked away from his faith, then he walked away. But I guess it depends on your regular feed day. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28? For we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Job saw the city as a wasteland as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. St. Peter encourages us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That is where we get the Greek word for apologetics, that is to defend the Christian faith. The September issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the topics of apologetics and archaeology and discusses both of them in detail with articles from Paul Meyer, Sarah Rinsel, Mark Meal, and David Adams. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four, C. A voice in the wilderness of American evangelicalism. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Van Maren of Peace Lutheran Church, the confessional alternative congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Synod here in South Lakeland, Florida, at peacelutheranlakeland.com. We invite you to join us at 10 o'clock Sunday for divine service to receive Christ and his gifts of life, hope, and salvation. Again, we're online at peacelutheranlakeland.com. Thank you, and God's blessings.
Pumpkin spice flavoured everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Crusom's mugs, featuring your favourite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses, or Christian humour. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. Saint Paul is the patron saint of the run on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practised here. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A D C R U C E M.com. Yeah. The John was addressing the antinomianism and the proto-gnostics. He was not trying to give us a test to check on our genuine faith. Thought to provide a place where to find your assurance at as if your works are the primary way. Hold up. Hold up. If we say that we have not sinned, then we make him out to be a straight liar. And his word is not in. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about a journey from Calvinism to confessional Lutheranism with Flame, Marcus Gray, Grammy-nominated Christian rapper and author of the new book, Extranos. Discovering Grace Outside Myself. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod operates 1,600 early childhood centers and preschools and more than 800 elementary schools. To find a Lutheran school near you, visit lcms.org schools, lcms.org schools. Marcus, how did you come to study at Concordia Seminary? Man, it's so funny how I found out about Concordia Seminary. Just a good friend of mine, you know, we're both from the same neighborhood. We both became believers around 16 years old. So as we continued our friendship and he went off to finish his seminary work at a Reformed Baptist Seminary in California, he was thinking about me. And he said, man, Flame, one of my professors suggested that if I'm gonna continue my graduate work in my hometown, St. Louis, in our hometown, we should check out Concordia Seminary. So based on his recommendation, I took him up on that and just randomly went to the website, scheduled a time to tour the campus, did that, met Dr. Bodie, great guy, and I was exposed to Lutheran thought, just a small sort of seed that piqued my interest. And then once I was there, I was very impressed, not only with the campus, but the classes I was able to sit in on. Shout out to Dr. Sanchez. He was giving a lecture on the Trinity, and I was spellbound. I mean, it was deep, it was weighty, but it was practical. And I said, man, I want to study here. And that's when the journey began, being in confessional Lutheran spaces. <laughs> in particular, talk about the impact that Dr. Joel Beerman had on you while studying there. Oh, my goodness, man. Dr. Joel Beerman is a godsend because I recall hearing eventually that there was a course that was once offered at the seminary discussing Calvinism, particularly in the Reformation. But that particular semester or quarter, it wasn't offered when I registered as a new student. But Dr. Bierman was very careful and intentional about including Calvinism and the Reformation contrast in his lectures. So I gravitated towards that. I clung to his every word. And he was very clear, very bold to stand on confessional Lutheran history and principles, but showing the connectivity between them and the Bible. So showing that Lutheran thought is not one that's novel or just sort of created in a vacuum, but it's tied to the ancient church and the scriptures ultimately. And man, he was just brilliant in a way he would walk us through those things. And my goodness, I drew so much life and hope and insight from his insights. So I'm forever grateful for his service and vocation. You say that visiting a Lutheran church at first you felt disloyal. What do you mean by that? Yeah, there's this third element. That's what I call it. So you're not only talking about 
scripture or theology, but you're also engaging your pragmatic and personal experience, your personal self. So I'm there as a Calvinist at the time. And what I'm tying to my Calvinist connectivity is good people, good pastors, great lay persons who have cared for me over 18 years, and they've been there for me through the highs and the lows. So there's this loyalty that you feel to people, not per se to scripture or to theology only, but to good people that really love you and have sought to show you and demonstrate that love over time. So when you're entertaining a new thing, you're not only contrasting the ideas, but you're thinking about those persons. And that was difficult for me. I I just really prayed, Lord, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to seem like I'm turning my back on these brothers and sisters, but please give me the courage to prioritize your word over people. It's a tricky thing, but I thank God that I would say he gave me the grace to do that. And I'm hoping that people are seeing that the conclusion was based upon the scriptures and church history and theology and not any sense of disloyalty or just haphazardly leaving a good community of people I love. Did any of those people at the time, did they fear that you were falling away from the faith because they may not have even regarded Lutherans as entirely Christian? Unfortunately, 100%. There were many who felt that way. They saw Lutheranism as some diet version of Roman Catholicism, sort of Roman Catholicism light. And for that reason, in their minds, they've been trained to not see Rome as brothers and sisters. So anyone who vaguely resembles that must also be an apostate. So that's a difficult thing to live under, even though you're around those people and you have great history. But then the skepticism enters the room because they don't have a real category for engaging you. So at that point, I realized that people were watching me and sort of speculating from a distance and trying to understand who I was as a person afresh. So I didn't want to live under that weight, however. I didn't want to live to perform for them. I just wanted to be genuine and honest in their presence and hope that they would hear things and that the Holy Spirit ultimately will illuminate his word in their hearts by considering the things that I'm putting forth and really a new conversation for both of us. How do you explain it to them? How do you explain what you have found there in confessional Lutheran theology that you weren't finding elsewhere? Ooh, great question. So one of the things I have to do is to take them back to Scripture, number one, because particularly reformers value sola scriptura, so there's a high view of the, the Bible itself. So I'm thankful for that sort of common ground. So I want to take them back to the scriptures. Then I want to highlight, they use a term, doctrines of grace. And I want to piggyback off that. I want to say, if we're into grace and we know that we're justified by faith alone, historically, the sacraments are tied to justification by faith alone. It's not something that we should splinter or separate from the reality of Jesus delivering grace to us by his word through his spirit's power. So I want to sort of connect those dots. And then I want to help them understand, lastly, that these aren't new ideas, that by and large, we've been trained in our institutions as Calvinists to go into church history, but maybe not as far back. And I want to help them see that through the ecumenical creeds that we have in the Book of Concord, we're showing that these things are not new to Christian thought. Confessional Lutherans are deeply 
into prioritizing this through line that stems from the Bible itself all the way to the early patristics who sought to nurture and preserve the sacramental reality. So it's, you know, sort of walking back to show them there are things that we missed, not because we were intentionally trying to be deceptive, but maybe in our training, that just wasn't a priority. Maybe the priority was to really help us in that period of time to learn reformed thought. Of course, that's the institution's goal. But I think here in this space, I've been encouraged to be more educated as opposed to doctrinated. And once that conversation gets going, it piques people's interest and uh, the conversation goes from there. (laughs) Marcus Gray is our guest. We're talking about his journey from Calvinism to Lutheranism. When we come back with him, what was his first visit to a Lutheran congregation like? I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today with the help of the Holy Spirit, I Would you like to learn about the Reformation theology you hear on Issues Etc.? We'll send you a pamphlet of Luther's small catechism for free. It contains the biblical teachings on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and Confession and Absolution. Order your free copy of Luther's Small Catechism today. Just send your name and mailing address to talkback at issuesetc.org. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. Do you dread going to work out? Performance Fitness in Edwardsville offers a fun, supportive, tight-knit community and environment. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. 618-692-5063 or performancefitness618.com. Performance Fitness of Edwardsville. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at siestakeyrentalgenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858.
you know, I ain't even really know there was a difference. I mean, a lot of people in the Calvinistic world, they, they salute the homie Luther. But you never really get exposed to, especially what he taught on justification, who he really was, the teachings he really brought to the table. For real. And the more I do that, <laughs> I'm really being liberated. Teach. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about a journey from Calvinism to Lutheranism. Flay Marcus Gray is our guest. He's a Grammy-nominated Christian rapper and author of the new book, Extra Nose, Discovering Grace Outside Myself. In about 10 minutes, we'll talk Eastern Orthodoxy with Dr. Jordan Cooper of Just and Sinner. So, Marcus, talk about your first Sunday in the Lutheran congregation. Walk us through that. Man, I remember my first Sunday. It was very unique. I remember the style of liturgy, which is very different, very formal. I remember using hymns and and the hymnal. So I found that just to be funny because I didn't know how to work through a hymnal. The words, while they start off from left to right, then they skip downwards. And if you don't know that journey through the book, I mean, you're going to miss the words. So I was just kind of faking and humming along, just and just looking around. So some humor there, but I do remember just being drawn to everything being tied to the word of God. That was particularly inspiring for me. I remember they prioritized the children. There was every time I visited from the first time afterwards, they would call the children to the front and literally include them in a liturgy. That was inspiring. And I found to be consistent with Jesus's sentiment for children as well. So, man, it was something that I was very impressed by. Contrast that with what you had experienced on Sunday mornings before that. Yeah, Sunday mornings before that, I do remember in a Calvinistic space, there's a priority for the preaching. So sermons are going to be sort of the peak and the highlight of service, which is probably going to be about a 45-minute sermon, lecture style, really walking you through the depths of a particular passage because they champion expository preaching, things of that sort. There's going to be, respectfully, there's going to be little emphasis placed on the sacraments, but by and large, it's going to be exposition of scripture and then a call to move out into the world, to live those things out, to make sure your affections and your desires and motivations are becoming more pure. They're going to focus you on sinning less. They're going to say there's no way for you to be sinless, but you should sin less. So the priorities are going to be just living right, getting your heart right, and getting out in the world, being missional as they would say. So while there was good gospel preached, by and large, they want to focus on your behavior, your motivations, and how you function in the world. But contrasting that with what I now understand to be divine service, where we come to be served by the Lord, where we move into the building, literally first thing is gospel, confession, absolution. Then we're going to read the scriptures from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then we're going to be absolved through public confession absolution. But not only that, we're going to sing the word of God. Then we're going to hear the preach word. And then ultimately it culminates in the Lord's Supper where Jesus bodily visits us in bread and wine in a fresh salvation, forgiveness, immortality, being united with the body of Christ is going to be applied to us in that meal. And uh, we're going to do the sign of the cross. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer. It's just this beautiful time of forgiveness and law and gospel. And then you move out into the world free to love your neighbor, not under the burden of the law, but just through the freedom of Christ. And there's just a stark contrast. You mentioned there the sacraments. How did you come to a biblical understanding of the sacraments? Walk us through that. 
Indeed. Man, I remember the first time I got a set of books I had to purchase to test into the master's program. And I was reading through the material and we talked about the word of God and the sacraments, or at least I had to read about it. And I just did not have a category for God uniting himself with these physical means to deliver what Jesus won on the cross. So even at the beginning, just through the material, I was confronted with it. Then while testing into the program, I heard it expanded and expounded upon even more. So at first I felt very, to be quite honest, nervous. I was skeptical. I remember praying, asking God, Lord, protect me if I'm joining a cult, if I'm falling for deception, guard my heart, guard my mind. But man, they really walked us through the scriptures and church history. So I could not accuse them of making this up. I could not accuse my professors of being occultish. And I say, well, if the Bible is a cultist, then we're all a cultist because here it is in the text. And over time, I found the sweetness of the word of God in the sacraments where it highlights God's normal way of doing things. He's always using his good creation and tying it to his word to deliver his promises. And now I see it all over the Bible. <laughs> so what do you want your music to do for those who are still living in doubt about their salvation and where to find it? Man, I want my music to be a bridge. I know there are good Christians out there, you know, mean good meaning they care. They care about God's things. They want to make an impact in the world. And my music functions as a bridge between the academy and practical life. There are just people out there who don't have exposure to anything beyond a Sunday morning, Sunday school class, or a 45-minute sermon. And then after that, they move about their lives. So I want to expose them to things that I've been exposed to. I want them ultimately to see in the scriptures that God has prioritized lavishing us with comfort, with assurance. And it's not based on our sincerity. You know, most reformed Christians understand that we can't give God 100%. So the next thing that happens psychologically, emotionally, and just functionally is you determine, well, if I can't give God 100%, I'm going to give him the best 50% I can, and I hope he sees the sincerity, my genuine desire to give him everything, though I could never give him my all. And I want to help people to realize that that's not what he's asking for. What he's asking for is <laughs> simply for you to, by faith, trust that Jesus gave 100%. And as you continue to stay before the word of God and the sacraments and the fellowship of the saints, he's going to equip you with ongoing forgiveness, ongoing law and gospel as you move throughout this life. And you can rest in that and you can move out into the world doing good for the sake of your neighbor and not trying to twist God's arm or using your good works as a coin in a slot machine to receive God's blessing. Finally, what do you say to someone listening to us who is still struggling with the doubt, the despair that is introduced by Calvinistic theology. Man, you know, I think about those people regularly. I pray for them. I know you get stuck in that doubt because you're placing more focus on yourself. The old Adam in us, he's a very confident nature in us. So what I want people to do is to, one, acknowledge that that's a reality happening in you. Romans 7 talks about this conflict between our members and our mind. We're bound, we're sort of stuck in this dance with sin. But what I want people to do is to acknowledge, listen, Jesus has already done the work for you. And 
if you can position yourself to hear better exposition of the Christian reality, then you'll understand how to wage that warfare as opposed to pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, dealing with your own guilt and condemnation, and then resolving to try harder. You will place yourself in position to be in the way of God's grace waves and let them wash over you. And as you position yourself in life that way, you'll better navigate this you know, human experience. So my plea and my prayer is that God would give people the confidence to visit a Lutheran church. I mean, on a practical level, that he would give them confidence to follow issues, et cetera, and other great ministries who are helping you think through these things and get good books and follow good podcasts where you can approach the scriptures freshly and let the plain meaning of the scripture ooze out and wash over you. Flame is a Grammy-nominated Christian rapper. He's author of the new book, Extra Nose, Discovering Grace Outside Myself. You can purchase this new book by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, or at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Marcus, thank you very much. Yes, indeed. Thank you for having me. Dr. Jordan Cooper joins us on the other side of the break on this Thursday afternoon, the 14th of September. We'll answer the question why he isn't Eastern Orthodox. Life a mess in the flesh. Where you find me at? Introspecting, trying to check. Looking deep within myself, trying my best to assess. Was I genuine? Am I regenerate? Better yet. Was I ever really with him? Will he hit me with Matthew 7? Let's be clear. We justified by faith. Maybe Mr. Calvin, that sanctification out of place. I don't know. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Sons of Sceva, Demetrius' beef with Paul, riot in Ephesus, an appeal for order, Paul in Macedonia and Greece. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. In a child's life, meaningful relationships matter when it comes to academic development and spiritual nurture. In Lutheran schools, students know they are uniquely and wonderfully made in God's image. Each day in over 1,800 Lutheran schools, children experience a rich, academic, loving, and Christ-centered environment where they can explore and develop their God-given talents and abilities. To find a Lutheran school near you, visit lcms.org schools. It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Do you know a student at The Ohio State University or another college around Columbus? Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church supports LCMSU at Ohio State. We offer weekly on-campus Bible studies regular Sunday lunches, and rides to church if you need them. Learn more about Ohio State's campus ministry and Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church at zionlcms.org. That's zionlcms.org.